Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilcha Shemitah V'yobo, the laws of the sabbatical year, and the laws of the jubilee year, Perek Shishi, chapter 6. We've talked about the sanctity, the holiness of sabbatical year produce. And that was the theme of chapter 5. And now he goes on to say along the same lines in 6. Halacha Aleph, paragraph 1. We cannot do business with the produce of the sabbatical year. As we learned earlier, the sabbatical year produce is public. It's available for everyone to take. But still, if somebody goes and takes a lot of produce, there's a rabbinic rule we're learning here. Don't do business with the produce. Now, it doesn't mean you can't sell a little uh, cucumbers to buy a tomato. That's not business. If he wants to sell, as we say here in Southern California, poquito a little bit of the produce of the sabbatical year. Mocha, that's not a problem. We're talking about business. However, there's a catch. What's the catch? That if somebody sells any amount of produce of the sabbatical year produce, then the money takes on the sanctity of the sabbatical year as well. The Yilkach Bohem, and therefore, the Yilokach Bohem, one must purchase with this money. Machal, again, foods, as we learned in chapter 5, foods are the priority. V'yeochal, and they must be consumed, bikdushas maintaining the sanctity of the sabbatical year, because of the component of sanctity. Now, what's interesting here is, v'eisei hapri hanimkar, not only does the money take on the sanctity of Shviyas, of the sabbatical year, but listen to this, my friends. The food that was sold retains the sabbatical year sanctity. Unlike what we learned earlier, for example, about Maser Shani, where you sell the Maser Shani, you redeem it, you exchange it, and the produce becomes regular produce, and the money takes on the sanctity. Here, the money takes on the sanctity, and the produce retains the sanctity. It doesn't lose the sanctity. Which is an amazing definition of sanctity. In the sabbatical year, one should not reap vegetables from a field and sell. Nor should one charge a fee, meaning commercially, do dying, D-Y-E, I-N-G, dying with shells from produce of the sabbatical year. Because doing this is tantamount to is doing business with sabbatical year produce. However, if somebody purchased or reaped vegetables to eat, here means reaped. If somebody harvested or, veg- or, or took Vegetables to eat the hasir, and he left over some vegetables. Can he sell the leftovers? And uh, of course, mutar limker hamaisir. He may sell the balance, but 
Number one, the money becomes sacred like Shvius, meaning he has to buy food and eat it with sanctity. And as we learned earlier, the vegetables retains the Shvius sanctity. So also if he just picked some vegetables for himself, and his son, or his grandson, went and sold it. This is permissible. But the money retains this, takes on the sanctity of the sabbatical year, as defined earlier. When one sells the produce of the sabbatical year, one should also sell it in a different manner. And we should not sell them not by measure, not by weight, not by number. So if you don't sell it by measure or by weight or by number, how do you sell it? Like a Jewish grandmother gives a recipe. You take not too little and not too much, just the right amount. You guess. Why shouldn't we sell it by weights and measures? Because if we do that, we look like we're in business with sabbatical produce. Like this, you say, here, take some. And he sells the little that he has. Achsero is a halachic word, which means by estimation. Guestimation. This is a proclamation. This is to proclaim, to inform. That it's public. The only reason he's taking the money is so he could buy other stuff. Like the joke goes, when Lot's wife was turned into salt, Lot said, salt, I got popcorn I need. So he uses the money to buy popcorn. Okay, that was just a joke. Okay, Dalit. It is okay to package those objects which are normally packaged. La bias for the house. And sell it with an approximate price in the marketplace. It just shouldn't be too retailish. Like we package things to bring it into the house. Not like they do it in the marketplace. Not like Ralph's would do it. But it should be more like a Hamish thing. So that it's not looked as if he's selling with exactitude. And things that are normally only packaged for the market... He shouldn't even package them. So it should look not business-like. It shouldn't look commercial. Because we're not allowed to do commerce with Shvius produce. Hey, with sabbatical fruits, sabbatical produce, foods. Hey, five, now what happens if produce from the diaspora, from out of Israel, is imported, comes into Israel? What's the problem? We learned earlier that produce from the diaspora has no laws of sabbatical year produce. So what's the problem? There is no problem. Well, there might be. Why? Because We don't want them to be sold in weights or measures or in a, with exactitude, but it should be sold with approximation. It should have the same Restraints or constraints as Israel produce. Why? What's the problem? 
Because what are people going to think? People are not going to know with diaspora produce. So they're going to say, I saw this guy, he's selling produce. Package, that means I'm allowed to package Israeli produce. No one will know it's diaspora produce. However, if it's obvious that it's diaspora produce, if there's a big sign that says, grown in China, grown in Oklahoma, mutter, then it's permissible. Now he points out, he spells it out, a beautiful thought. In a sense, sabbatical year produce is even more severe in its application of sanctity than something consecrated to the Holy Temple. Because we learned earlier, when somebody redeems something which was consecrated to the Temple Fund, what happens? Let's say I have a computer, and I consecrate my computer to the Temple Fund. So now the computer belongs to the Temple Fund. You come and you say, wow, look at this, a brand new computer, I could use this. As an old friend of mine who didn't speak English very well used to say, how much cost Hasocha? How much cost Hasocha? And they tell him $1,000, and he puts down $1,000. What happens to the computer? The computer becomes an everyday computer losing its sanctity. Uh-uh, not by sabbatical year produce. The sanctity of the Beis HaMikdash Fund becomes mundane, everyday stuff. Why? Because the money took its place. The money took on the sanctity that the computer had. I mean, a computer is a weird example, but I'm a weird guy. Sabbatical year is different. When somebody sells sabbatical year produce, the money takes on the sanctity of the produce, the money with which one purchases it. The money becomes sabbatical year produce money. However, the produce itself, do not Lose their sanctity. They do not become everyday mundane. They do not become like produce of other years. Because there's a special word that the Torah uses. We mentioned this word previously. The beginning of Bahar. Shall be. It shall be. It shall eternally be. Well, the fish and the grace kodesh, being that the Torah refers to it as sacred, teifes says domeha, it also grasps the money paid for it and makes the money holy. Nimtzaseim, so we say, ha'achrei nispas b'shvius, the last, which means the money becomes holy because it's grasped in a sabbatical year sanctity. But the produce retains the sanctity, which is interesting, very different than anything we learned. And here the Rambam spells it out. For example, somebody took the produce of the sabbatical year. He had a, a case of apples. He took the case of apples which was sabbatical year apples, and he traded it for a nice piece of meat. 
Or he sold the case of apples and used the money to buy a nice piece of meat. A nice cut of meat. So now this meat takes on the sanctity of the produce. So now it's sabbatical year meat. And he must eat it only by maintaining the sanctity, which one must maintain when one eats sabbatical year produce. And at the point in time when one can no longer have sabbatical year produce in the house, as we will learn. Because there is no more produce left in the fields for people to take, so you can't hoard it in the house. So it's the time of removal, of destruction. That's the law, as we will learn. So that, that meat has, has taken on the sanctity of the apples. However, what if the guy's a trader, he has a beautiful piece of side of meat, a beautiful cut of meat. He says, ah, I'm going to take this meat right now and I'm going to buy some fish. I'm going to buy some uh, sea bass, Alaskan salmon. The meat loses its sanctity because the meat was not originally Sabbatical year produce. The meat was in trade. So the trade loses its sanctity. The meat was a trade item. And the fish, the salmon, the Alaska salmon takes on the sanctity. Lokach badogim, he again takes the salmon, he takes the fish, the gefilte fish. A bidmeyem shaman, and he buys Bertoli grade AAA olive oil, not from Ralph's, but from Gelson's. Yatsu dogim, the fish loses its sanctity, the salmon loses its sanctity, and now the olive oil becomes sacred. What if he traded the oil and got honey? Yatsu shemen, the oil loses the sanctity. And now the honey takes on the sanctity. So which ones retain the sanctity? Of course, when Biur time comes, when it comes time to remove everything, as we will learn, the first item, the case of apples, and the last item, the honey, retain sanctity. All the middle stuff does not retain sanctity. Because the middle was only trades. As we have to do the removal process of sabbatical year produce. We don't make compresses as we learned earlier. And we can't have it be ruined. They have to maintain the sanctity of the sabbatical year. Speaking of this subject, there's a story told that there was a woman driving through the desert and she saw a hitchhiker. So she picked up, and turned out she picked up uh, an an American Indian woman. So the American Indian woman was sitting in her car and she didn't say a word and as much as the woman, the American woman tried to engage her, the Indian woman wouldn't say anything. And finally she sees her holding a big beautiful bottle of alcohol what the Indians call fire water. And she says, uh, what's that? 
So she says, I got it from my husband. So she says, nice trade. Actually, I turned it around, I think. But okay. Ches, eight. That was just to wake up everybody because... Uh, the holiness of the produce of the sabbatical year can only be transferred through a sale. Which means you can't just redeem as you can, for example, with second tithe. Only through sale. By When does this apply? First time around? But the second time around, for example, he took the apples and sold the apples for money and bought meat. And then he took the meat and traded it for fish. That works. B'sheni, second time around, whether it's a purchase or an exchange. And when we transfer holiness of produce, of second tier produce, we should never exchange it for a living domestic animal, wild animal, or fowl. Why? What's the problem? Because we're concerned that they will go ahead and become fertile and they will, give, they will have offspring and before you know it, you'll have a whole flock of Shvi'as animals. What are you going to do with them? Certainly not Shvi'as produce itself. Therefore, we can only buy slaughtered meat, not live animals because we don't want them to Produce offspring. But we can use slaughtered meat. As we learned earlier, you can't pay debts with sabbatical year produce because it's not yours to pay debts with. Nor can you use it for shushvinus. The idea of shushvinus is an interesting idea. The Rambam is going to talk about it later. Shushvinus means a wedding gift. But today you go to a wedding and you, you give a gift. Back then it didn't work that way. Back then when your friend got married, you gave him a gift. And you wrote it down. And woe is to your friend when you got married and he didn't return the same gift. So there had to be reciprocity. There had to be reciprocation. If there wasn't, he can take him to court. That's the idea of shushminus. It's more like a loan than anything else. So therefore, you can't use sabbatical year produce for this wedding gift, which is a very, very specific obligation. And we'll learn about that. The law is interesting. Uh, there's a couple of people who owe me money. But we won't go there. We also should not use to pay, to pay favors, somebody does you a favor, you can return the favor by giving them a case of kumquats. No. You don't return favors with sabbatical year produce. Nor do we pay pledges to the poor people which we pledge in the synagogue. In other words, you can't pay formal pledges. But you can certainly use it to help poor people eat. No problem. But we should inform them that this is sabbatical year produce. We can't purchase servants with them. We can't purchase real estate with them. Servants in halacha are always the same law, legal application as real estate. Our sages say that servants were compared to real estate in halacha and with 
produce of the sabbatical year, you can't buy unkosher animals. Like uh, a rhinoceros, I guess. It's a rhinoceros kosher. And if he purchased it, then, as we said with the, with the second tithe, he has to take regular produce and eat that regular produce in a state of sanctity to offset the amount. Nor may we purchase with this shviyas money or produce pairs of doves for the sacrifices of various obligations such as zavim and zavos, the normal and abnormal male and female flow we learned about in the Chumash, or a woman after childbirth, or a sin offering or guilt offerings, and all of these will be covered in their place in the laws of sacrifices. And if he did, then he has to eat other produce to offset that. We cannot use the oil of Shvius to oil furniture, to oil vessels. And if he did, then he has to consume regular produce with the sanctity of the sabbatical year to offset it. So that's called an offset. Nor should we give sabbatical year produce to a bathhouse attendant, a bloodletter, a person who sails a boat, or another craftsman. This is not to be used for payment of services or tips, because it's sacred. And a tip or a payment is discharging an obligation. But it may be given to someone who takes water out of a well, who draws water from a well to give somebody water. And one may give a gift to a laborer. Not a tip, but a gift. A tip is an obligation when it is, and a gift is a non-obligation. Sometimes tips are mandated. Sometimes they're just free will gifts. Like the very wealthy man who ate in the restaurant, and the waiter says, my tip? He says, buy low, sell high. That's the tip I'm giving you. You'd be so if somebody says to a worker, to a craftsman, to an employee, he, no, I'm sorry, he says to his employee, hey, loch take this coin, and go pick some vegetables for me. Remember, the fields are open to everybody. Anybody can go in and pick. He doesn't want to be a vegetable picker, so he sends his guy. He's okay, he can take the money. The money does not become sabbatical year money. He's paying him for the trouble, not for the produce. He can spend it on anything he wants to. The only time we penalize the employee that his salary money becomes sabbatical year produce is in other situation, not in this situation. But he told him, If he says to him, gather a vegetable for me today for this wage. He spells it out very, very clearly. This is your responsibility. Then sort of the obligation kicks in more severely and the money takes on the sanctity of sabbatical year because he's trading the vegetable for this money. 
You can only spend it on eating and drinking with sabbatical year food. When donkey drivers perform work with the produce of the sabbatical year, which is forbidden, what could be forbidden for a donkey driver? The equivalent in today's world of a donkey driver is a trucker. Truckers transport. You ever see the signs? We're bringing your food from one coast to the other. You always see this on the highway to Bakersfield. You should thank the trucker because he's bringing your food to market. What could be an example of where a donkey driver can violate the law of the sabbatical year? Because there's a limit as to how much produce an individual could pick. And what if he picks a truckload? So here the money takes on the sanctity of the sabbatical year. And this is a penalty. Why are we punishing the trucker? And we're not punishing the employee who loaded the truck. Because the employer, the employee who loaded the truck, he makes a little bit, a few dollars. He's a minimum wage guy. He needs to make a living. Whereas the donkey driver, he is a serious businessman. The trucker is a union trucker. What if somebody purchases a loaf of bread from a bakery for a punyan? A punyan is a coin. He told him at the time, When I collect vegetables in the Shemitah field, I will bring you, I owe you a punyan, I'll bring you vegetables instead. I'll pay you in, in, in vegetables. I'm going today to the tomato field. That's fine. And that loaf takes on the sanctity of the sabbatical year. But if he just bought plain, he can't pay him sabbatical year produce. Because if he didn't spell it out to begin with, then the punjin, the coin he owes him, is a debt. The debt has to be paid. You can't pay debts from sabbatical year food. One may partake of the produce of the sabbatical year in expectation that the recipient will return. I'm going to have lunch in your house from your sabbatical year produce today and we'll have lunch in my house tomorrow. That's expectation of return or in return for having performed a favor. And shalai b'teva when there's no such expectation. Because there is an opinion that says that this trade can only take place fairly. But Teva Kate said, what's an example? He's going to give him sabbatical year produce. Like he, I did a favor for you, now give me produce. Or, you'll allow me into your garden to eat like I did for you a favor. What if someone was given a gift of sabbatical year produce or he inherited it, which means somebody picked sabbatical year produce and then it entered into his estate. Can the heir use it? Then he eats them like he would eat produce which he himself gathered from the field. End of chapter 6. Rambam, Mishneh Torah. Hilchais Shemitah V'yovel, the laws of the sabbatical and jubilee year. Pedic Shvi, chapter 7, we've talked previously 
about the fact that the produce of the sabbatical year has to be available to everyone, to the poor, to the rich, to the domestic animals, to the wild animals, to the servants, to everyone. The sabbatical year, the farmer renounces possession of his fields and it's open to all. Now it doesn't mean, as we learned, he can't go out and collect some food and bring it into his house. But it has to be a reasonable amount of food. The bulk has to be available to all. So now he says, in that case, what if somebody has food in his house and there's nothing available out in the field? He did a good job and he stored a lot of food in his house. He says, Pedashvius, sabbatical year fruit, ain't eichlin, or sabbatical year produce, ain't eichlin mehen ella One may only partake of this produce as long as there is that species of produce still available to the public in the field. Shanemar, as the verse says, this is a verse in Parshish Bahar. Vilivhemtecha, to your domestic animal. Vilachaya asher ba'atzecha, to the wild animal that is in your land. If a lion or a tiger wander into your field. Tihyeh koltfuasa lechel, all of the produce must be available to eat. Meaning, spell it out. As long as a wild animal has access to enter at will into the field and to eat of this particular species, you may eat of the same species out of your pantry. No problem. But we derive and deduce from this verse that once the animal has no availability because the produce of that species is gone. Our sages instituted the law, and this is a law which is based on Torah law as well. One is obligated to remove that species from his house. This is called biur, the removal of sabbatical year food. biur. Shall This is the meaning of the word beer in the context of sabbatical year food. Ketzad, and here the Rambam says, to spell it out, how does it work? For example, if somebody has dried figs at home, dried figs, it's a common food. Then he can eat from his dried figs out of his pantry as long as there are dried figs available or as long as there are figs available in the field. If there are no more figs in the field, he can no longer have from his private stock in the house. He must instead remove them. And we're going to need definition of what removal means. How do you remove them? You call the, uh, the green garbage truck. What do you do? So he says, It depends how much he had. And remember, the idea of this is, is that the produce should be available to everyone. So the law was instituted that the farmer should not hoard. 
We don't want him hoarding food. And that's the purpose of this law. If he had a lot of produce, what should he do? Once there is no produce in the field, this is the law. He can call, as MCI used to say, his friends and family. He can call all the people he knows. He can go to all the people in the shul, in his schmitzbud, and he can say, guys, I, I can give you for three meals of this particular produce. Here, take it home. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And once that time passes, he had the opportunity to distribute to anyone he wanted to. Three meals, it is forbidden after that time for anyone to eat it. Whether to the poor or to the wealthy. And I was wondering, and I had the discussion with a scholarly friend of mine now. And I said to him, what would be the reason that the Torah would actually want us to to destroy this food? The answer is in order to encourage you not to hoard it. In order to encourage you to give it out. In order to encourage you to consume it. Because this is holy food. As we learned earlier. And if he couldn't find people to consume it at that time, that probably means he didn't look hard enough. <laughs> There's no other choice. Torah mandates, Torah law mandates that he burns it in fire. He has it consumed by fire. Or he throws it into the sea. Not the L.A. River where it can jump in and take it out, but to the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And destroy it through any other means. Real destruction. Now sometimes when the Rambam talks about Yam HaMelech, the salt sea, sometimes he means the Dead Sea, and often as here he means the Mediterranean Sea. See, so as he says here in the notes, the Rambam defines destruction as destruction. There are other scholars, other early commentators who say no. All he needs to do is renounce ownership, put it back in the field, rather than actually having to destroy it. But the Rambam accepts the opinion that it actually has to be destroyed in a way that causes destruction. Dalit for. Now he spells out case by case, scenario by scenario. What if he had raisins of the sabbatical year? Now, do you know what raisins are? I was 27 when I found out what raisins are. Dried grapes. Raisins are not made by some sun-made, uh, Mr. Sun-made. Raisins are grapes that are dried. I'm just kidding about the fact that I was 27. I was actually 26. What if there are no more grapes in the field? There are no more grapes in the gardens and in the orchards. And you still have raisins in your pantry. What are raisins? They're grapes. Even though there may still be some vineyards in the courtyards, which are private that still have some grapes, but still the fields, the orchards, the vineyards out there don't have grapes. The fact that there's a couple of vines in your private courtyard don't allow you to eat of these dried grapes or raisins. Why? As we learned earlier, because the wild animal has no access to your courtyard. Because there's a security guard standing at the foot of the courtyard and he doesn't allow any tigers in. Or giraffes. So therefore, you can't eat your raisins. 
However, if there are even hard grapes available, they're unripe and they're not completed until the end of the season. But there are still grapes growing out there. He may partake of the raisins that he has stored because there are grapes still growing. All similar situations have the same law. Hey, five. What if there is a tree that produces a crop twice a year? A biannual crop. And he still has of the first crop. And there's another crop. That's okay. As long as the second crop is still available in the field for the animal, he can eat from his pantry stored produce from the first crop. Why? Because it fits the criteria. It's that species. And it's in the field available to animals. <clears throat> However, if it's fruit that grows in the fall, in October, November, late seasonal fruit, that doesn't allow you to eat fruit that grew in May and in June. Because from a May crop, an October, November crop is a different year. So it doesn't even look like the same year. Now comes an interesting law. This has to do with pickling. Pickling. Like the pickle man. If somebody pickles three types of produce in one barrel. Okay, you can have pickled uh, cucumbers, which are sour pickles. You can have pickled tomatoes, which are sour tomatoes. And you can have pickled, I don't know what, herring. So he takes these three species and he's pickling them. The problem is that there are no more cucumbers left in the field. So now he's got to get rid of the cucumbers, but they're in the pickle jar, in, in the pickle barrel. What should he do? It still has onions in it. It still has tomatoes in it. He has to remove all the cucumbers. Leave the tomatoes and leave the onions. His but if he began eating it, it's considered as if it's already destroyed. Why? Because back then they had no refrigeration. And once you open it and you start using it, it's going to go bad very quickly. And just as this law applies to human food, so also it applies to animal food. Because we learned earlier that the sabbatical year law applied to animal food as well. So he can't feed his domestic animal. He can't feed his dog. Dog food, unless the produce of that dog food is still available to the wild animals in the field. Just as we have to rid ourselves from the, remove the produce of the sabbatical year. So also, as we learned earlier, a person has the opportunity to take the produce and exchange it for money. The money now becomes sabbatical year money, as we learned. So the money also has to be removed once the produce which purchased that money is no longer available in the field. 
Ketzad, spell it out. For example, if somebody went and sold pomegranates of the sabbatical year, and he takes the money of the pomegranates and he buys sushi and tuna fish and all kinds of stuff. Steaks. The problem is that this money is pomegranate money. What if there are no more pomegranates available to the wild animal or to the public? He still has pomegranate money. He must consume that money. He's got to quickly go through it, buy food and distribute it to friends and family. Spell it out. What does he do? The Rambam is very good at spelling things out. He goes to Ralph's. Or if it's a lot of money, he goes to Gelson's. He buys produce. He distributes three meals to anybody he wants to. Or in the alternative, there is no alternative. He casts it into the Mediterranean Sea. If he can't find people to consume it, which means if he looks hard enough, he'll find it. Now the Rambam segues into another law. Well, when you say, are there, is there still this species of produce in the field? Maybe not in my field, but maybe in northern Israel, maybe in Haifa, maybe in Tiberias. Or if you live in Tiberias, maybe in Kfar Chabad, maybe in Tel Aviv, maybe in Beersheba. So he says, for the answer to this challenge, test nine, Sholosh Arotzis Labir. Israel is divided into three sections. For the purpose of this law of removal of sabbatical year food. Eretz Yehuda Kula. First of all, there is the land of Judea. Like biblically, we talk about Judea and Samaria. The land of Judea, Judah. And the land of Judea itself is broken up into three subdivisions, three counties. What is that? The plain, the valley, and the... It's mountain, the mountains, the plain, and the valley. So those are the three subdivisions of Judea. The next is Eber Hayarden Kulay. Eber Hayarden means the other side of the Jordan in this context. The Rambam is referring to not the east bank of the Jordan, which is what Eber Hayarden is referred to in the Bible, but he's referring to what we call today the west bank where the West Bank is an integral part of Israel. And in the West Bank itself, there are three divisions. There is the plain of Lud, the mountains around the plain of Lud, and Beit Choron, up to the sea. That's the second region. So that's the West Bank. And then there is the entire, what is referred to as the Galilee. And the Galilee is subdivided into three parts. Ha'elian, what we call today the upper Galilee. Ve'atachtan, the lower Galilee. Tveri, and then there's the neighborhood of Tiberias. And it's Achas, all of these, region by region, are considered one area. So therefore, if you're in the Judea region, as long as this particular produce is still available in the fields to the animals, anywhere in the Judea region. If you're in the West Bank region, as long as it's available anywhere in the West Bank. If you're in the Galilee region, as long as it's available anywhere in the Galilee. But you can't 
keep the food in your pantry in the Galilee if they're still available in Judea. That doesn't help you. You can, Ketzad, spell it out. Yes, produce in Judea. As long as there is of that species in the entire land of Judea, the entire region of Judea. So also if he had Galilee produce, he can eat it as long as there is Galilee produce in the fields. And the same goes for the West Bank. Now he says in 11, these three regions, they're all considered like one big region for the purpose of for the purpose of three particular species of produce. Carobs, olives, and dates. And one may eat of these species in one region, even though they're no longer available in that entire region, as long as they're available in other regions. And amongst the reasons given for the distinction between the three species, these three species of, and other produce, it, that there's little difference between the times these fruits grow in one region of Eretz Yisrael and another. Also, another reason is given. These species remain on the trees after they have ripened for longer than most fruits. Therefore, there's an added reason for seeking a common date for the purposes of carobs, which we call boxer, olives, and dates. When it comes to dates, we can eat throughout Eretz Yisrael until the last dates are available in the Tzohar region. And approximately when is that? Adapurim, Purim time. When we can eat Zaysim, olives, Adoatzeres until Shavuos time, which is like May, June. Ovanovim and grapes we can eat Adapesach Shomatzoy Shavuos until the Passover season of the year after the sabbatical year. The eighth year, Ovagregres Ada Chanukah. Figs, dried figs, until about Chanukah. Yud Beis 12, Amelech Perish Makam Shakola Makam Shalekola. What if somebody transports? Produce of the sabbatical year from a place where they're no longer available into a place where they're still available. Or vice versa. From a place where they're still available. To a place where they're no longer available. Either way, if they're not available in one of the two places, the place from where he's coming or going, he has to remove them. Because we give the severe application of the place he comes from, as well as the severe application of the place he's going to. So if either of the place have no more produce, he must remove his produce. And what about produce of Israel that was taken out of Israel, must be destroyed immediately. We shouldn't transport it. And we learned earlier that we shouldn't even take Shvi's produce out of Israel, but it should not be brought back to Israel to destroy it. It should immediately be destroyed. Yud Gimel 13, now he segues to another subject for the rest, or most of the rest of this chapter. Yud Gimel 13, Klau Godel Omru B'Shvi's. There's a very fundamental principle that was taught with regard to sabbatical year produce. Here's the rule. 
Anything that is human fit. Produce, produce fit for humans. A machal behemor, produce fit for animals. A not save more, as we learned earlier. It's an herb which is used to dye, to change the color of something, to dye, D Y E. Im If this produce is not available throughout in the earth, in other words, if it doesn't sit in the ground, but it has a season, yesh loy uladom of then it takes on the sanctity of the sabbatical year. Why? Because it's either human food, animal food, or an herb that you can die with, D-Y-E. And it comes and goes as produce. Then it has the sabbatical year limitations because it's food for human, animal, or die. The chayabibir, hovedomov, and it and its money, which it was exchanged for, must be removed when it's no longer available. Why? Because it's not always in the ground. Again, and here he gives some examples as to what we're talking about. Ale haluf, leaves of wild onions. The ale hadandano, and mint, what we call nana today. You come to a restaurant, they ask you, you want tea with nana? That's the dandana, or dandena. The haulshin and endives, maichalodom, all of this is fit for human consumption. So, the laws of the sabbatical year apply, and it does have an expiration time where it must be removed. Okay, again, for example, hachichim, v'hadadarim, brambles and thorns, me'echel behema. Humans don't eat brambles and thorns, but animals do. I guess they got tough esophaguses. And like woad, W-O-A-D, and safflower, they are considered forms of dye, which they produce a bluish dye. That is if there came a point in time where it no longer existed in the earth. But if it continued to exist in the earth, it never became extinct. It was not seasonal. Kigain, for example, and here he gives a list of examples. Hapua, the harichpa, matter, M-A-D-D-E-R, and dyer's rocket from the dyes. Matter produces a red dye, that's like red dye number three. Just kidding. Even though the sabbatical year applies, because it is a dye, and dye is part of the process of sabbatical year food or, or, or produce, but but we never have to remove them because it's always available in the ground. Or their monies, which they were exchanged for. It's because it is maintained in the earth. You may use it and enjoy it until the new year, which marks the end of the sabbatical year. All of the above was if it's food fit for humans, animals, or for dyes. But if it's not human food, it's not animal food, and it's not an herb for dying. 
And as long as it's not designated for kindling wood, there still are the application of the limitations of the sabbatical year, but there's no cutoff date for removal, even though they don't always exist in the earth. You can enjoy it or its money until Rosh Hashanah. As we mentioned earlier, examples would be roots of wild onions, mints, scorpion-like herbs. What if we're dealing with peels and the buds of pomegranates? Not the pomegranates themselves, but their peels and their buds. Or the shells of nuts and seeds of other fruits. Or the stalks of zrodim, other produce and carobs. They and their money have the sabbatical year application and laws and limitations, and they must be removed at the time. The tips of branches of the evergreen oak and the pistachio tree. They and their money have the limitations of Sabbatical year, but there's no removal. But the leaves do require the removal. So this applies, the last law applies, again, to the tips of the branches of the evergreen oak, pistachio tree, and a box of thorn bush. Apparently these branches are also pickled on occasion. Okay. Tezayin 16, when would be the time for removal of leaves? When they wither and fall from the tree. That's when the leaves are done. What about leaves of olive trees, reeds, and carob trees? They never have to be removed. Why? Because ordinarily they don't wither and fall away. 17. How long can a person? Continue to gather fresh grass in the sabbatical year. Until the bitter, and this refers to, as we learned earlier, a bitter apple or bitter species of grass. He can gather the dried grasses until the second rains of the eighth year. And we learned earlier that there are various seasons for rains. Second rain of year eight, which is in the Early winter. The sabbatical year ends on Rosh Hashanah of the eighth year. But still, there's still produce, even after Rosh Hashanah. Seventh year produce. How long can the poor have access to the fields, lest they pay the Shviyas to collect the produce of the seventh year? Until the second rain comes. Nineteen. The laws of the sabbatical year apply to roses, cloves, and chestnuts. Yes, both they and their money have the sabbatical year laws. And the above laws apply. Haktof, balsam, balsam sap, they come from the leaves and trees and roots. There's no sabbatical year rule. 
and that which comes from underdeveloped berries. Yes, loyal domashvias do have the rules. Twenty by medwar ramuna. When does this apply? Bilan machalov to a fruit tree, a fruit tree. Avo bilan srak, but a non-fruit tree, a non-fruit tree. Af ayetsemina all in minakodim. Even that which comes forth from the leaves and the mainstay of the tree. Kipri shalohen is like their fruit. Yes, loyal domashvias, and the laws of shvias does apply. Twenty-one akevish vered shvias b'shem and shoshishis. Apparently, they used to pickle roses. They did a lot with roses. Some cultures, roses plays a very important part. In, 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 in the Persian culture, rose water is very big, and so on. So, if somebody pickles a rose from the sabbatical year b'shem and shoshishis, they used to pickle it in olive oil. But the olive oil was six-year produce. Six-year produce is permissible. Seventh-year roses are have the sanctity of shvias. So, what can he do? Does this whole pro, does this whole mixture become sacred? He says, "Yolaka desaveret." As soon as he takes out the rose b'shem and mutter, the sixth-year oil is fine. Kvoshe, but if he pickled it. Processed it b'shemesh shomotzoi shvius in oil, olive oil, a post sabbatical year. Chayv l'vayir hashemen. Then he has to get rid of the oil. Sharei averet yabeshu because the rose was dried up. Akvanas chayv b'beer and the rose required removal. And finally, twenty-two, the final law in this chapter. Hacharubim shoshvius shekvoshon b'yain shishetay b'yain motzoi shvius. Caribs of the sabbatical year were left to soak to be pickled, to be processed in the wine of the sixth year, or the wine of the eighth year, you have to remove the wine. Because the taste of sabbatical year produce entered it. How does it work? What's the rule? So here the Rambam gives us a rule. And we really will appreciate the rule in light of the earlier laws of kosher and non-kosher and mixed foods which we learned. This is the fundamental principle. Produce of the sabbatical year that became mixed with other produce. Mean one species in another species. One species in another species is, is, is a whole different ballgame. I'm sorry. Mean one species in its same species. I misspoke. So, for example, if you have uh, apples within apples, meat within meat, the Cholshehu, then the slightest amount, makes it all sabbatical year produce. Because you have no way of differentiating. Because it's all the same. But if it's one species in another, the question is, does it change the taste of the species it went into? And usually, the ratio of that we learned earlier is usually 60 to 1. End of chapter 7. Rambam. Hilcha Shmita Viova, the laws of the sabbatical year and the jubilee year. Pedak Shmini, chapter 8. So, what we have learned so far is that a person must renounce ownership of his fields and vineyards and orchards. We learn that everything grown in the sabbatical year that is food and that is drink and that can be used for anointing oils and that can be used for dyeing, D-Y-E-I-N-G, all of this is holy and must be utilized in the spirit of Kedushat 
Shvish, the sanctity of the sabbatical year. We've learned that there is biur, that when the time comes that this species is no longer available out in the field, where the animal has access to it, we may no longer have this item stored in our pantries. Now we're going to learn another halacha, and that is that the laws of the sabbatical year are so sacred and so important, as they say here in Southern California, muy importante, muy importante. Or as they say in uh, English, very, very important, that we can't even assist anyone who doesn't care about the laws in his violation of the laws. He can say, I don't care, and we can say, hey, the Torah says, I can't even help you violate the sabbatical year laws, whether you care or not. Now, in a sense, this exists throughout, but the Torah is extra sensitive to it, as are the rabbinic decrees when it comes to sabbatical year. Peter Shemini, chapter 8, Aleph 1, just as it is forbidden to work the land in the sabbatical year, as we learned. Over the past seven chapters, Kach so also, also it is for prohibited, forbidden, Lachazik Yidei Yisrael, to strengthen and to reinforce, to help the hand of the Jew, Shaib of the Jews who do work the sabbatical year. It's forbidden. They don't care. You have to care. Furthermore, if you're in the agricultural machinery business, you're not even allowed to sell them the machinery. This is actually an across-the-board law. It is forbidden to strengthen the hands of those who commit transgression. It goes into the category, says the Rambam in his commentary to the Mishnah, of lifnei iver lo sitin michshu. Do not place a stumbling block in front of the blind man. When someone is blind due to the fact he doesn't appreciate the Torah law, you should not place a stumbling block by assisting him in his violation. So what is forbidden for you is forbidden for the next guy, whether he cares or not. And therefore you can't assist him. Practically speaking, beis ve'elu kelim she'en ho'uman rashoi lamachram b'shmiyas and the following are the tools which one is forbidden to sell to someone on the sabbatical year or in the sabbatical year. If this person is suspect of violating the laws of the sabbatical year, he doesn't look like he cares. What are these tools? Number one is a plow and all its accessories, a plow. Not, not too many of us have plows in our backyards today. But plows are very uh, important tools, machines, and they're complex even once upon a time. Ha'el, the hamizra, the hadeker, as well as a yoke for a team of oxen, a winnowing fork, a mattock, a long pronged tool. Zehaklau, this is the deal. The rule is, if this particular tool is unique 
to the particular type of work which is forbidden on Shvi'as, case in point. It is forbidden to plow, and this is a plow. What else are you going to do with a plow? Make ice cream. Well, maybe. Also, in that case, if this is a primary tool for a type of work that's forbidden in the sabbatical year, then it's forbidden to have it sold to a person who is a choshud, what choshud or chashud, suspect. But if it's used for a type of labor, that maybe it's going to be a forbidden labor. Maybe the same tool could be used for a permissible labor in the sabbatical year. In that case, it is permissible to sell it even to someone who is suspect. Why? Because we have to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And surely he's going to use it for the permissible task. In the world of fundraising, which I know absolutely nothing about, it is said that when you're planning to solicit someone, that person is called a prospect. Prospect. When you think there might be a chance that you can solicit someone, that person is called a suspect. That was a joke. Okay, Gimel... Ketzad, how does this work? So the Rambam spells it out. He can sell him a sickle, a wagon, and all of its accessories. Because the truth is, in the sabbatical year, you're allowed to harvest a little bit for private use, and you're allowed to put it on the wagon for private use. And that's not allowed to do it in the professional way. But obviously, you need a sickle to harvest a little bit. However, you know, this is the kind of sickle that they sell in uh, 7-Eleven. Not the one they sell in Costco. But if you harvest like a harvester, like a union guy, a Yobi Kopeta or he's going to harvest all the crop in his field, Asur or Asur, this is forbidden. That is, the above is to a suspect, meaning someone who is suspect not to care to violate Shvi'as. But someone is not suspect, someone is just a regular guy, and you have every reason to assume he keeps the mitzvah of Shvi'as. In that case, you can sell him anything you want to, even a plow. What's he going to do with a plow? It's possible he's buying it now in the sabbatical year to use it the next year. He wants to get an off-season bargain price. You know, I guess the, the plow sellers cheap, sell it for cheaper in the sabbatical year. Or whatever. The point is, the guy is not suspect. You could sell him anything you want to. The above laws were for the suspect. Now, he says, furthermore... When we talk about the manufacturers of uh, pottery or other types of vessels, Hayetzer, a pottery maker, a potter, Mecher Chamisha Kadishemen, may the pottery maker sell jugs for oil. 
because the farmer would buy jugs and bottle the jugs with, with olive oil. But if you're not harvesting and producing oil in a commercial way, what do you need so many jugs for? The answer is you don't. So the pottery guy is limited to sell five jugs at a time for oil. How much oil can you use already? How much salad can you eat already? And 15 pottery jugs for wine. But that's it. So it's maximum for the customer. Five oil, 15 wine jugs. However, if the customer is a Gentile and non-Jew, we learned again and again non-Jews are not obligated in the mitzvah of Shemitah, in the commandment. So there's no reason they shouldn't buy as much as they want to. But in other arenas of Torah, we said, wait a minute, maybe this is a plan where the non-Jew is being sent by the Jew. We don't have to go there. We do not have to be suspicious that the non-Jew is going to sell it to the Jew. Furthermore, outside of Israel, you can sell as many jugs as you want to the Jew. You shouldn't be concerned that he's going to be importing them into Israel. So actually, this is interesting, that the wine, what we would call here the, the wine bottles, and, and, and the oil containers became like contraband, where you couldn't even sell it because you would be concerned they would be violating the law. So he says, don't be afraid to sell it to a Gentile. He doesn't have the law. Don't be afraid to sell it to a Jew in the diaspora. We're not worried about the fact that he's importing contraband oil jugs or wine jugs. Okay, what about a plow cow? You'll notice how that rhymes, plow cow. One may sell a cow for plowing, even to a person who's suspect of violating the sabbatical law, because who said he's going to plow with it? Because you can also eat a plow cow. He could be buying it for slaughter. You also can sell such a person your field. Why? How could you sell him your field? You know he's going to work it. Or you're suspicious that he's going to work it. Because maybe he's just going to let it sit and lie fallow. However, a field, yes. But you may not sell him in an orchard. What does an orchard do? It produces delicious fruits. Unless the contract stipulates that the buyer has no rights to the fruits. Why? Because he doesn't trust them. So he can't contribute to his violation of the sabbatical year. Furthermore, one may lend a suspect a measuring utensil called a saw. A saw is a measure. You need a utensil to measure a saw. Even though he knows he has a granary. What else is he going to measure with the saw? Ice cream. He knows he has a granary. Because maybe he's going to use the saw to measure something in his house. Who knows? The guy comes and he says, listen, I need change. I need change. What does a person need change for? He has to pay his employees. Remember the days that the boss used to count out cash for the employees every Friday? You're not old enough to remember, huh? Okay, today they'll arrest you just for that. So he needs change to pay his employees. 
What, you, what kind of employees? You're a farmer. It's the sabbatical year. You shouldn't have no employees. Even though he knows he has employees. So all of the above is permissible. However, if the guy says, listen, my employees just finished harvesting my field. And you know it's the sabbatical year. And he spells it out. And you say, I'm really sorry. I cannot be part of your violation of this sacred sabbatical year law. So similarly speaking, a woman can lend a sifter, a sieve, a mill. Even though it's the sabbatical year and you're suspicious that she's going to be doing sifting and sieving and milling stuff that's forbidden or baking stuff that's forbidden in the sabbatical year. However, she should not go ahead and sift or grind with her because you can say, I want to be a good neighbor. No, don't be a good neighbor when your neighbor is violating the sabbatical year law. There's something called machzik yad. Machzik yad means verbal encouragement. In general, in life, verbal encouragement is very important. Hey, lots of mazel, lots of success. Go for it. Right on. So you're allowed to encourage the hand of a non-Jew verbally, even though it's the sabbatical year. Because again, he, the non-Jew doesn't have the commandment of the sabbatical year. No problem. Again, for example, it's the sabbatical year. The Jew sees his non-Jewish neighbor plowing. Isaiah sees him planting. There's no reason he cannot say to him, Success! Be strong! Right on, as we say in the 60s. Or succeed! Go for it! Or any other verbal good wishes. Because the non-Jew is simply not commanded for this whole mitzvah of letting the land lie fallow. But it doesn't mean that the Jew can help the non-Jew physically, because it is the sabbatical year. However, when it comes to certain rabbinic prohibitions, such as removing honey from a beehive with the non-Jew, or enter into a sharecropping agreement with them, for land whose ground was broken in the sabbatical year, these are rabbinic prohibitions. One is not obligated to observe these rabbinic prohibitions with the non-Jew, because the non-Jew has no obligation. So it's like a prohibition on top of a prohibition. Because the non-Jew was never penalized to begin with, with this rabbinic decree. In Syria, which we know is the adjacent country to Israel and has some of the rabbinic applications of these laws in general terms. In Syria, it is permitted to perform any labor with produce that's already been harvested. But not with produce that's still connected to the ground. To spell it out. What is permissible is threshing, winnowing, squeezing grapes, making sheaves out of grain, 
What is forbidden is one should not harvest grain, grapes, olives, or any or any other similar activities, even in Syria. What does Syria have to do with Israel? It's adjacent. It's close. And there are certain rabbinic applications. Now he goes to the next set of laws, just as it's forbidden. To enter into business with sabbatical year produce, just as it's forbidden to guard and privatize sabbatical year produce. It's also forbidden to purchase sabbatical year produce from an unlearned person. Why? Because we can't give the sabbatical year funds. We learned earlier that the produce can be exchanged for funds. The produce retains its sanctity and the funds take on sanctity as well. But then the non-learned person is not going to know the laws. He's not going to know how to deal with the money. We have to be concerned that he's not going to expend these funds, maintaining the sanctity of the sabbatical year, as we learned he must. Now, there's an interesting law. The law is that food has the prohibitions of the sabbatical year. Remember, anything that you can eat, drink, anoint, use as a dye, but... The bark of a tree, it's a different world. Trees themselves is wood. Here's an interesting law on sukkahs. And every sabbatical year has the festival of sukkahs. You have four kinds. You have the lulav. And then you have the estrog, which is a fruit. Houston, we got a problem. How do you sell and buy fruits in the sabbatical year? So he says, What if somebody buys the palm branch, the lulav, from someone who is unlearned in the sabbatical year? We're concerned about buying the estrich from him because it's a fruit and we have to know how to deal with that. We have to be scholarly. The best way is if the seller of the lulav can gift his buyer with an estrich then you avoid the whole issue of selling sabbatical year fruit. Again, the lulav is not a fruit. And if he says, I'm not going to gift anybody anything, well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about charge more for the lulav and don't charge for the estrog. So that's a technical way to avoid it. These days, in fact, we don't buy the estrog and the lulav and the myrtle and the willow separately. We buy what we call a set. So we're never paying separately for the estrog. When does this apply? So he says, When this person sells these types of fruits that are usually protected, which means, figs of pomegranates and so on, but if this guy was not in the habit of selling these type of fruits, which ordinarily are guarded, but 
He just sells fruits that he acquired for free because it's the sabbatical year. We learned earlier you could sell a little bit. And here the Rambam enumerates a whole list of stuff which although ownerless could be sold rue, amaranth, moss, rose, coriander and so on. So it is permissible to buy a little bit. Anybody can buy the amount of food for three meals. Why? Because we want the seller to be able to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner today or tomorrow. Now the rule is anything because of its species and definition, if it's not obligated in the tithing, and we learned about this extensively earlier, what is exempt from tithing? Kegain, for example, shum, balbechi, or botzol sharichpa, or grisim, hakilkiyes, vadoshim, amitriyes. And here we have the list powerful garlic, the onions of rikpa, a pearled Sicilian bean, Egyptian lentils, and so on. And so also, seeds of plants whose seeds are not eaten. We learned earlier there are two types of seeds. Some seeds you can only plant, some seeds you can plant or eat. These are not the edible kind, like, for example, seeds of turnips, radishes, and so on. They can be purchased from anybody in the sabbatical year. Why? Because they're not eaten. You doubt 14 by Medvaramamun. And when does this apply? If you're talking about somebody who's simply unlearned. So he doesn't know any better. You've got to be careful. But if somebody is literally suspect, not that he's not learned, you know he's messing around, you know he's violating. Or you know he's guarding and protecting his field against Torah law. This person, we may not purchase from him anything that has a sabbatical year obligation upon it whatsoever. Furthermore, we can't even buy flax from him. What's wrong with flax? You don't eat flax. Even combed flax. Yes, you do eat flax. It's called flaxseed oil. It's available in any health store. But we may buy flax that has been spun and twisted into threads. Because once the flax has been spun and twisted into threads, you're not going to get any flaxseed out of it. You know, flaxseed is a big item today. Some people are not aware of that. They think the only big item is pastrami. But usually the people that eat pastrami don't eat the flaxseed and vice versa. Okay. One who is suspect on violating the sabbatical year laws. Is not necessarily suspect in violating tithing laws. It's a different world. And vice versa, one who is suspect to violate tithing laws. Is not necessarily suspect to violate the sabbatical year laws. Why not? Suspect the suspect. The guy doesn't care about Torah. He doesn't care about Torah. 
Why not? I'm glad you asked. Sha'af al Pishazeb is even though they're both biblical prohibitions. However, they're very different. What is the difference? When we talk about tithing, we talk specifically about the second tithe. The second tithe is that which, as extensively studied earlier, the laws of the second tithe and the fourth year produce. The farmer had to take it and consume it in Jerusalem. So this, there's a schlep. The farmer can't sit and eat it in Tel Aviv. He has to schlep it to Jerusalem. He doesn't want to schlep it to Jerusalem. Mashen can is the sabbatical year produce. As long as he maintains the laws, he can eat in Tel Aviv too. So that's why suspect for one is not suspect for the other, and vice versa. Why would one be suspect for the violation of sabbatical year law and not for second tithe? Because you can redeem from today till tomorrow, although the money becomes sacred, the produce retains its sacredness. There's no way to shake off the sacredness of the produce in the sabbatical year, as we learned earlier. With the second tithe, redeem, boom, it becomes regular food. Furthermore, along the same lines, one who was suspect of violating the laws of purity and impurity, which used to be observed during the time of the Beis HaMikdash, is not necessarily suspect to violate the laws of second tithe or the laws of sabbatical year. Why? Because if somebody who is impure, if somebody has impure produce, sells it underhandedly, surreptitiously, as pure produce, the truth is that biblically, the person does not become impure by eating this produce, only rabbinically. The rule across the board is that anyone who is suspect of violating a rabbinic law is not necessarily suspect of violating a Torah law. What's the logic? The logic is that in his mind, he says it's only a rabbinic law. Not so terrible. You know the expression, it's a Yiddish expression. It's not so terrible. So when I was a kid, they say, what's the definition of geferlach? What's terrible? When you swallow an umbrella and it opens up inside you, that's geferlach. Until then, it's nish geferlach. Yud zayin, kol al dover, anybody who's suspect for a violation of something, even though he has no credibility when it comes to his own stuff, he's suspect. If you're suspect, you can't believe anybody. Can't believe the guy. However, this is an interesting law. He is trustworthy, he has credibility when it comes to somebody else's stuff. Why? If I'm not credible when it comes to my stuff, why am I credible when it comes to your stuff? Chazoka, because we have an established assumption. No one is going to sin to benefit someone else. You sin to benefit yourself. When it comes to the other guy, you might as well tell the truth. Because it's his gain and his loss, not your loss, and it's not your gain. Therefore, according to the Rambam, and not everybody agrees with this, that if somebody is suspect for this type of a violation, he can still act as a witness and as a judge. He has not disqualified himself from the whole system. Others argue that he has. 
Yudchas, here's an interesting law. A Kohen, and I ask for the forgiveness of the Kohenim present in our class. Nothing personal. The Kohen is especially suspect in the sabbatical year law. Why? A Kohen is a holy Jew. I'm glad you asked. The answer is, because the Kohen rationalizes. Then the Kohen says, The Kohen says, listen, the Jewish people cannot eat truma food, but I am a Kohen, I can. If a non-Kohen eats truma food, there's a heavenly death penalty. How much more so? Produce of the sabbatical year doesn't have a death penalty. Therefore, I'm permitted to eat the truma. I'm certainly permitted to eat the sabbatical year produce. But the Kohen is not understanding that as a Kohen, he may eat truma, but no one may eat sabbatical year produce when it's forbidden. But because therefore, saw truma, shenophilus saw, the mea saw shall pay the Now, let's complicate the pot here. One measure of truma food fell into a hundred measures of sabbatical year food. Tala. So you take one measure out, as we learned earlier, you give it to the Kohen, he eats it as truma, and have a good day. And the rest becomes sabbatical year food, which can be eaten with the sanctity of the sabbatical year. However, but if it fell into less than a hundred to one, yirkebu hakel, better everything should rot. Why does it have to rot? Because in less than a hundred, the truma food cannot be nullified. So the whole food becomes truma. The only one who would be able to eat it is a Kohen. But we don't trust a Kohen that he'll eat it with sabbatical year sanctity. It should not be sold to the Kohen like any other mixed produce. Because again, a Kohen is suspect of rationalizing permissibility when it comes to sabbatical year produce. Yutes, what about Hatsabonim vihapatomim? Like Chimursam became. There is a product called bran, and bran has multiple uses. One of the uses that bran has is it provides body substance for paint. Ask Mr. Benjamin Moore, he'll tell you. That a good paint has to have bran. If you want to have a healthy paint, it has to have raisin bread. <laughs> Never mind. I'm just trying to wake everybody up here. Bread is also used to fatten cattle. Why? Because it's an inexpensive product. And it's caloric. You don't believe me? Ask Dr. Atkins. So, someone can go and buy bran for paint. And he can buy bran to fatten cattle. He doesn't have to be suspicious that this is the aftergrowth of the sabbatical year, which our sages forbade. Let's not go overboard because the prohibition against benefiting from Svichim, Svichim is the aftergrowth, the Hebrew for aftergrowth. It's only rabbinic in origin. Therefore, a doubtful situation, we don't have double decrees. And finally, interesting law, Chof, the closing law of this chapter. Gaboy Kupa Bashvius. We learned much earlier in the laws of charity that in every city worth its name in the olden days, they used to have two funds. One of these funds was called a Kupa. 
What is a kupa? They went simply door to door and they collected food for the poor. So this one would donate some uh, sushi, and this one would donate some uh, cottage cheese, and, and so on and so forth. Now the question is, how can I go take food and give it to the poor people? Who knows? Do these people observe sabbatical year observances? I don't know. Says that Ambam, the guy in charge of this kupa, of this food fund, food bank. It's like a food bank. Should not be so careful and refrain from entering those who may partake of the aftergrowth of the sabbatical year. And if they, these caretakers of this food bank, would be given bread, take the bread, the poor need the food. Let's not be overly suspicious. Maybe this is from a sabbatical year after growth. Because the Jewish people are not suspected of giving stuff that they shouldn't be giving. Unholy stuff. They're not suspected of giving. They only give either money or eggs purchased with this money. It's also permissible to borrow from the poor produce of Shvius. If they have too much food, you can give them uh, eighth-year food. Uh, all of this is in order to help the poor maintain their position. End of chapter 8.